0: Welcome to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. This is Pint Glass Football, drink beer, talk NFL and college football. I'm your host, Brad Fowler, and McKinsey Brewing is the official beer of Pint Glass Football. Follow them at McKinsey Brewing. Follow us at pintglassfootball.com. If you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. What's up, PGF Nation? We are back with another great show today. We'll give you our biggest takeaways from NFL Preseason Week 2. We'll each pick three NFL bounce-back players for this upcoming season. The AP Top 25 is out, but we put out our own PGF College Football Preseason Top 25. We'll discuss the differences between us and the AP. Some might really surprise you guys, and we'll preview the AFC North, but joining me to break it all down, my co-host, Alex Higdon. Alex, what is going on?
1: Hey, what's going on, Brad? I mean, we are one week away, well, actually not even a week, we're just a few days away from week zero for college, so we're going to get some live action from college and then another two weeks away from the NFL, so everything looks like it's lining up. Uh, sorry to all the wives out there. I've seen a lot of funny things on. On, on social media with contracts for their, for their wives. Either it's for Madden. I've seen them for Madden and I've seen them separately for Sundays that they can't talk to them between 10 AM and 11 PM from <laughs> Sunday to Monday. So it's been real fun. So it's fun to watch, you know, a lot of things between what's happening. So everybody seems to be giving up and then not to mention we're in fantasy season. So there's a lot of things happening in these next four weeks across the board
0: man oh man you are not kidding that is awesome by the way i have not seen some of that stuff so that is that is killer week zero man you're right it's just days away now look i've really enjoyed the preseason and we're going to talk about it some more here in a minute preseason has been really fun a lot of young guys rookies been some guys that have been a lot of fun to watch here but we've got games that count this weekend with week zero some fun matchups, some big-time teams that are going to be playing, Notre Dame, USC. It's going to be—they're not playing each other, but I'm saying there's some big teams that are going to be playing. This is going to be so much fun, man. Fantasy football, I know a lot of you guys have ha- have your drafts going on, getting your teams ready. Alex, I know you're a big fantasy guy. We might have to dive into a little fantasy here at some point, but man, we've got a lot to get to today want to start with some news that is really the dominant news story here right now because This just got reported recently, Alex, running back Jonathan Taylor. He's been granted permission now from the Indianapolis Colts to seek a trade. This has been an interesting story, Alex. We've been following this and reporting on this ever since the talks about him being upset about his contract and the situation at Indy, the back and forth with owner Jim Ursay. We've been covering this story here. Now there's a new development here, though, because apparently they're going to allow him to seek a trade So now the question really focuses to where is the landing spot? Because for me, Alex, I'm circling some teams in the NFC East.
1: Absolutely. We were talking about this off air and I, you know, I want to give credit where credit is due. We did have a, person that we were in terms of a shared space we were in that actually brought up a team that was not on my radar and i have to say it's very interesting but i the first team that came to my mind even though i state that the bills will not make the playoffs this year was the bills because this is a guy that could for one year who's in a contract year and as i always say we know how players are when they get into a contract year And most people, well, I would say everybody else probably except me, has Buffalo in their Super Bowl bubble. This is a player that can put them, that would put them over the top. However, I was not thinking about the Eagles, but that made a lot of sense. And it made even more sense when we started to look at their available draft picks and having those extra second and thirds available to trade for them. So who's to say the Eagles? And I've been critical of that running back room with Rashard Penny and DeAndre Swift having low output and also being oft injured as well. How about bringing him in, maybe trading him for a third that can possibly move to a second should they make and win the Super Bowl or whatever type of stipulations they put around that in terms of his production. That was the landing spot that I that came out of nowhere for me. And I was not thinking of it.
0: Bills are interesting. That's a team that's definitely interesting because, man, we have talked about it. It feels like all offseason how that team has to find balance. They have to find an established running game outside of Josh Allen and a legit number one running back like a guy like Jonathan Taylor, a between the tackles, physical Alpha running back would be the guy. He would be the perfect fit to really flip that offense and become the balance attack that they desperately need in Buffalo. I think that makes a lot of sense, but I'm with you on the Eagles. This team is really interesting. This is a team that I'm circling for sure because they only have $6.4 million of cap space, but I think with a couple contract restructures, which we know is something they're more than capable of with Howie Roseman, I think they could free up the space to acquire Taylor. They also, like you mentioned, they have two second-round picks next April. They've got the draft capital to make this move, and Taylor would give the Eagles a clear-cut number one running back, something that they don't have right now, something that you mentioned and I agree with you. They've got a decent running back room, but when you're a team whose philosophy and their DNA is running the football, this is the kind of player you want, and they are legitimately in that Super Bowl window So I could see them getting aggressive and going after a guy like this to get them over the top. The other team, or I should say teams, that I'm circling here are also in the NFC East. How about the Dallas Cowboys, Alex? This is a team that I think would be really interesting as well because in the NFC, I think they're a legit contender. We've talked about their running back room. I think we both really like Tony Pollard. I know I like him more than you, but we know he's a really solid player but we both agree they could really use this style of back to complement him in that offense.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I'm hesitant. I, I, we did pick. We both pick the Cowboys to win the NFC East. But in terms of being in the f- true Super Bowl bowl, which I means like, I would actually lay down a bet on it. I said there's one thing missing from this team, and it's well, actually there's maybe two things. I was I said a swing tackle because of Tyron Smith and then also another running back because I believe Tony, Tony Pollard is more of outside the numbers and they need a tough guy to go into that offense. And when they want it, when, when you get into those winter months, if you have to go to one of these tough cities and you want to grind it out, you have a guy that can do that. Jonathan Taylor absolutely will fit into this offense. It's a one-year deal. Again, this is a guy that will come in on a contract year that will want to show his ability to, going into free agency now we've I think Brad one thing I want to say if we've talked about this from what it can do for teams the one thing that we haven't talked about and I spoke about this a lot is the other side of it and this is where it gets sketchy for me if I'm the player now we talked about some great situations and we can also throw Miami in there as well however if he doesn't go to one of these teams, and he happens to get traded to some obscure place, wherever you want to name it to be. You could be putting yourself in a depressed running back market. You could be putting yourself at a disadvantage in terms of that because you're an, you're an oft injured. Well, I don't want to say off. He's only been in the league three years, going into his fourth and last year. The first year he was injured. The second year he had a great year, and then the third year he was injured. You're putting yourself in a situation in a depressed running back market where you could be at a disadvantage, and this can clearly work against you if you don't perhaps go to one of the teams that we've been naming. So it's it, it's twofold. It's great if you're a team that's in the Super Bowl bubble. You say you get this guy for one year and you take a real big shot. But on the other hand, it kind of, in my eyes, kind of backfires because you in that offense with Anthony, Anthony Richardson, with the – coordinator that came from the Eagles that ran that style of offense that would benefit you. It might've benefited you to stay where that offense would have been set and built around you a lot. I don't know how it works for him. If he doesn't go to one of the teams that we talked about.
0: I 100% agree, Alex. I am so with you on this. If I was him, I would have played out this contract because Yeah, the Colts might not be a contender, but I like the situation as far as being a productive player in that offense with Shane Steichen, like you mentioned, taking over Anthony Richardson. They're going to run the ball a whole bunch, and he had a chance in Indy to put up a monster season. Now with this trade opening up the possibility of a trade, like you said, who knows where you're going to end up. It might not be on one of these spots that we're circling here, one of these quote-unquote ideal fits, But I want to jump back to the Cowboys for a second here because I think that this move, the Eagles and the Cowboys, I think, make the most sense. And when you look at that, the Cowboys last year, they gave Zeke Elliott 15 carries per game alongside Pollard last season. I think if you add him there, that's a dangerous one-two combo in Dallas in a team that's in win-now mode. So this move just makes so much sense. We talked about Dalvin Cook before he signed with New York being a potential fit there in Dallas. I think this is the, an even better fit. And the Cowboys have less than 1 million committed to the running back room for 2024. They could move some money around and make this work. Here's a team that I want to stick with in the NFC East that I don't know if a lot of people are talking about, but I think actually could make some sense. How about the commanders? They have a new owner. We kind of feel this shift. We've talked about it last week when we covered the NFC East. It feels like they're in a transitional period here with this new ownership group. Ron Rivera squarely on the hot seat this year. They might be looking to make a splashy move here. Now they've got Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. Those guys are solid. But Taylor, I think, would give the young quarterback Sam Howe a real weapon in this offense and really take some pressure off him to deliver.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, we're I'm, Sam Howell's a person we're going to talk about when we talk about uh, week two season preseason takeaways. But, yeah, absolutely. You know, you talked about that running back room, which is solid, young and solid. And I've seen a few things that being, he's been doing a lot more with Antonio Gibson because he's great out of the backfield, something that he hasn't been used a lot with. But to bring in a guy to make a splash. And who knows with that defense and you bring a running game in there you can really perhaps do something the Giants did last year and perhaps back into the playoffs. We know that division is top and heavy with Dallas and the Eagles. However, the NFC being as weak as it is, you can possibly back into it as well. But one other thing I want to bring up, although Jonathan Taylor has the ability to go and seek a trade, I did see that ESPN Stephen Holder, he reported that the Colts are actually seeking a first-round pick or a package of pick picks that equate to a first round pick, which is interesting for a player going into a contract year that is a running back that we know his value is down because of what's been going on between Jim Irsay and his agent and then what the player has been saying as well. So this is going to be very interesting to see what they can do in these next three weeks before the season starts, even if they can move him or not.
0: Yeah, that is interesting. Alex, are you giving up a first round pick for Jonathan Taylor?
1: Absolutely not. Not with Blake Corum and a couple other guys that are coming out next year. Absolutely not. And again, we know we've talked about it before. No need to belabor the point. We've talked about the running back bark and I've stated my points as a CEO looking at a business structure. I cannot put that type of equity and type of draft capital to bring that player in. In this situation, it's just I just couldn't do it unless I'm sitting at that top. And this is a guy that I feel puts me over the top because on top of bringing him in, you have to make a decision if you're going to pay him or not. So there's a lot of there's a lot of moving parts to this whole situation.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the Colts are crazy if they think that they're going to be getting a first round pick for this guy. I mean, he's a good player, a really solid running back. But you are right; that is crazy talk if they think they're going to be getting a first round pick. I'm thinking third round pick at best maybe maybe a second round pick if you're a team like the eagles a team like we mentioned here that's in that super bowl window maybe they could afford to get a little more aggressive because they could see him as being the final piece to the puzzle for a championship but yeah there's no way they're getting a first round pick that is total nonsense nfl preseason week two i'm not gonna lie alex i have watched more preseason games this year than i think any other year I don't know why I find it more interesting. Maybe I'm just that hungry for football, but there's been some really fun games to watch. A lot of, a lot of young guys, a lot of rookies, second-year guys that I'm really paying attention to, Alex. What are some of your key takeaways here? I've got a lot of players I want to talk about and some, some different things we saw in Week 2. A lot of interesting storylines here, a lot of different directions. Alex, why don't, why don't you tell me a couple guys or a couple things that stood out to you in Week 2?
1: Well, here's the first thing. Because of Aaron Rodgers, also because we're, they're on hard knocks, and, and they're in the bi- you know one of the biggest cities in the country, and what the storyline that's going on with New York. I think Makai Becton, who was a person I talked about in that Hall of Fame game, who was expected to play 25 snaps, only played seven and took himself out. In this last game, he actually played 19 snaps and did not allow a pressure or a sack, and he looked excellent. If this is a guy that can hold up, we possibly can see some special things in New York because that to me, and as we spoke about in our AFC East preview, that's the biggest thing that's holding them back. Those two tackles, Dwayne Brown because of his age and just Makai Becton because of his injury, his injury play career. Those are the two reasons. And which is why I did not choose them to win the division is simply because I just couldn't, I did not think those tackles will hold up. But if Becton, B- excuse me, Becton can look like what we just saw this past Sunday, the Jets may prove me wrong.
0: Yeah, that's a great point because I think so much is riding on those tackles. I don't think that can be understated. That is going to be a key position group, no doubt about it, Alex, for these New York Jets. I noticed on Hard Knocks Episode 2, Aaron Rodgers coming over to Becton during the preseason game, trying to encourage Becton and telling him, hey, let's get together, let's go get some lunch this week. I like, on a side note here, I really like the leadership I've seen from Aaron Rodgers in Hard Knocks. Absolutely. Yeah, in this preseason. He looks like a different guy, a, a guy that's really really driven right now to change the narrative so once again Jets easily the most interesting team this offseason no doubt about it
1: and you know what? I just want to say one more thing Peter King in his Monday morning football uh piece that he put out he indicated that the rant that the head coach went on was specifically directed at Becton as well which is why we probably saw him play. So he looks like he got the message. And I know Peter King is probably one of the insiders that I trust a lot in terms of what he says. So we all heard it. We all, and I know it aired on hard knocks as well. That was specifically said, according to Peter King, that that was directly at Makai and It seems he got the message.
0: I want to look at another quarterback here. Kenny Pickett, Alex. This guy is starting to open some eyes here. He's starting to show me some things. He played the opening two series week two led the offense to back-to-back touchdown drives. He's been pretty sharp in the preseason, and in the second half of last year, he's a guy that really started putting it together, and it looks like that's carrying over into this preseason so far.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Having those receivers, having that defense at this point, I, th- I think there's still a lot of development that happens to ha- that has to happen around Kenny Pickett. But if he can simply be a game manager, all quarterbacks are a game manager, or all, all system quarterbacks, I should say that. If he can simply be a game manager within this system, with that running game, if Broderick Jones is who we think he is and that defense, Pittsburgh is going to open up some eyes. I know we're going to do our picks, you know, At the end of the pod, but this is going to be a very, very interesting year for Pittsburgh if they can put everything together, because we know George Pickens looks like he's about to not break out. He looks like he's about to bust out being in that second round pick when he should have been a first round pick for obvious for other reasons that we don't need to discuss. But he looks like a guy that is ready to show why he's probably one of the top two or three wide receivers that were in that draft class.
0: Yeah, it's going to be fun to jump into the Steelers and the rest of the AFC North here later, no doubt about it. I've got to talk about a quarterback. We talked about him last week. We talked about him during the draft. I got to keep giving you props here, Alex. Your guy, Aiden O'Connell, man, oh man, Raiders rookie quarterback. He's been the best rookie quarterback so far, and I don't think it's close. I, I don't think it's even debatable. He was so impressive again this week versus the Rams, came in in the second half. Went 11 for 18, 163 yards, two touchdowns. Through two weeks now, he's completed 26 of 36 passes for 304 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. I cannot say enough. I know it's preseason, and I'm trying really hard not to overhype these guys or read too much into it, but look at the confidence. Look at the decision-making. Look at just the poise in the pocket, all the little things. This guy is checking the boxes, Alex.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, looking at him and, I, and one thing I wanted to watch when I, I saw the game and then I went back and I wanted to watch that second half again. Well, one thing, I have no idea why Brian Horace started that game, but that's besides the point. But watching his feet, that's something I wanted to pay attention to. I watched his feet and his mobility within the pocket because he is not mobile. He's not mobile at all. He is a quintessential pocket quarterback. But the slide step, knowing what to step. And one, he threw a strike down the field, I believe it was to Trey Tucker, like a 48-yard gain. And he took a beating, but he stood in the pocket and delivered the strike. And those are the things that you want to see from your quarterback that's going to happen. Somebody's going to miss a blitz or somebody's going to break through. But can you stand in the pocket and deliver those throws? And he simply did that. And you're absolutely right. Of all the rookie quarterbacks, he has looked the best, whether he started a game or whether he came in the second half. He's looked like what I thought he would look like when he got here. Of course, vanilla defenses. And it'll be interesting to watch as he matriculates through the season. And a funny note for me, He's rated a 60 in Madden. I can't wait to do the update to see what they move him
0: to. (laughs) (laughs) A 60. That's awesome. I love it. The Madden rating. Here's another rookie, Alex, that we talked about on the show, guys. Once again, one of our guys that Alex and I both circled. We had him as the number one wide receiver in this class. He is showing everyone what we saw on tape at Boston College, why we were so high on this kid, Alex. He had a 26-yard touchdown where he took a short catch and turned it into a big play, weaving through the Washington defense. This kid's electric, man. He has got moves. He breaks ankles. He's quick. He's tough. He is everything that we told you he would be. Once again, I know it's preseason. Not trying to read into that. I get it. But there's certain things on tape that you can just see regardless of who's on the field. The quickness, the toughness, the playmaking ability in the open field. I really, really like what I've seen from Zay Flowers. And in that same game, Washington quarterback Sam Howe looked pretty good. Once again, showed some poise in the pocket, made some nice plays, went 19 for 25, 188 yards and two touchdowns versus Baltimore. I like what I saw from him as well, Alex.
1: Absolutely. I'll start with Zay Flowers. You're absolutely right. We were in love with this guy from when we saw him. It's the route running, the ability. And I also want to say, Though one of the things that we always talked about with Greg, specifically with Greg Roman, that everybody talked about, what we saw from that touchdown pass, that was a stacked, that was a, that was a wide receiver stacked, and he just broke open, wide open, easy pitch and catch, and then let him do the rest. So Todd Munkin has put some little wrinkles in here that were not in that previous playbook. That's going to be interesting when we get to the season to see how Lamar now performs and they put everything together. So I can't wait to see that. But Zay Flowers is simply doing what I thought he would do. Now, Sam Howell is a person that there were a lot of questions around his size and and everything around that. i not only want to talk about what he did with his arm. I also want to talk about what he did with his legs. And I had to go back to see what he did in college. And one of the things I noticed, he was good in college. He had only had about, maybe I think about 92 carries as a three-year starter by his second year. But that third year, he doubled that and um, and had 800 800 yards and 11 touchdowns. And we saw him not only be able to throw the ball, but become a playmaker when things broke down. That was a key that I saw. And I said, oh, okay. So if he can do that, and with that strong running game that will the assumption of a strong running game with brian robinson and antonio gibson they can do some things with that offense that's going to be very interesting so sam howell has a chance to see if he can prove to this new leadership that he's a guy that they should really heavily invest in
0: i'll tell you a guy that i didn't like what i saw in a team that i really didn't like what i saw from them how about the buffalo bills and josh allen those starters versus that pittsburgh team Didn't look very good. This offense was not sharp at all. These are the starters out here. I'm not talking about second string guys. And they punted on all three of their possessions. They struggled to move the ball. They were sloppy. The Bills now have 21 penalties over two preseason games. I have not been impressed with this team. I know this is the team that you have been really down on all offseason. Right now in the preseason coming in, we're getting closer to week one here. If I'm a Bills fan, I think it's time to be a little concerned from what I've seen from them.
1: Absolutely. I mean, I knew that this, the right side of the offensive line was going to have a lot of issues. And I'm glad we're talking about this specific game because there's two people on the other side, on the defensive side that I want to talk about. But you're absolutely right. What we saw from them, they couldn't hold water. I mean, there were there was leakage all over the field. Josh Allen had no time to throw the ball. He almost, in a sense, was running for his life, even though that's some of the things that he's capable of doing that he also said, as well as his head coach said, they want to stop doing. But with what we just saw, it doesn't look like they're going to, it's like they're going to have to lean into it a little bit more. So the Jonathan Taylor aspect that we spoke about might need to become more of a reality to actually slow down what we're looking at because they should not have that much leakage with the starting. Excuse me, with the starting O line, especially with Deion Dawkins, who's supposed to be, you know, a reliable, a reliable stalwart on that side of the line. But the, and the reason I'm mentioning that because the Steelers' fourth round pick, 30th overall, Nick Herbig out of Wisconsin, was wrecking that game. Every play I watched, at least I think he had about a good seven snaps that I saw, that whether he was. Causing a slight pressure or cause, causing the quarterback to move left or right. And he was, get, he was sacking the quarterback. He was, I'm talking about, I watched him do a one arm bull rush around Deion Dawkins. And then again, Deion Dawkins is supposed to be a veteran in this league. This is a rookie, 6'2, 227 pounds. They did a one arm bull rush around him to get to Josh Allen. I believe he caused the fumble as well. And as we know, the Steelers do two things very well they draft wide receivers and they draft linebackers, excuse me, edge linebackers, and they look to seem to have another one in line again with Nick Herbig, which was something I was not expecting.
0: How about rookie Bijan John Robinson? Didn't play a lot of snaps. Man, he flashed some big-time talent. He really showed why people were so high on him. I like what I saw from him. But here's another guy, Alex, that I got to jump to. Jordan Love continues to look sharp. This guy looked good. I mean, really, really good again versus the Patriots on Saturday night. He went five for eight, 84 yards and a touchdown. He, But you look at the stats. I get that, okay? The stats are great. They look nice. But just watching that tape, he had a handful of wow throws, big-time throws that you go, okay, there's only a handful of guys in the league that can make that pass.
1: Absolutely. There was one that specifically jumped out to me. I think it was to the tight end. Tight space. Only could put it where the receiver could catch it. Snuck it right in there between the safety coming and the linebacker that was covering him. Dart. I mean, it was Aaron Rodgers-esque. Please don't buy into that too much. But it was just saying that it was Aaron Rodgers-esque how he slid it in there. And then the other part, I watched him. This is what I love to do when I'm watching rookie quarterbacks. Watch their eyes. Are they reading the entire field? I watched him go one, two, three. He looked at Dobbs. I can't remember the other receiver. I'm not sure if it's Watson. And I saw him look at the check down at the running back, which was open and a play that he, that most quarterbacks probably would made, but then he looked in front of him and saw nothing but green. And as opposed to perhaps maybe a seven yard pickup, he ran for about a maybe 15 yard pickup and the first down. So the decision-making everything starts seems to be, Again, vanilla defenses, but it begins to slow down. It's starting to slow down for him. And the touchdown pass that he threw was a beautiful shot to the post. I mean, it was an excellent throw right on the money, right where it needed to be. And I have a lot of faith in what I'm seeing in Green Bay with that defense and those running backs. And if Jordan Love, again, can simply be a game man, manager as he is brought along, this is another team that's going to be tough to beat, especially when we get to, to December and have running game will travel with what they have. But but I loved what I saw second week from Jordan Love. Watching him the first week, I saw him miss a huge pass, wide open to Luke Masterson, and I was, I was like, wow, that's – but he made the right read, but you got to make that play. That's a pitch and catch. That, I mean, the defender was about five yards off, and he missed it. But this time, he hit it. So it's like that's what I like to see. Come back, make a mistake, come back, fix it, and then make the play.
0: Yeah, right now, he's looking like he might be a little more than a game manager. He's looking like a kid that looks really confident and is really spinning the ball out there, putting it, like you said, perfect placement, nice accuracy. Yeah, he's missed on a throw here and there, like you mentioned, but overall, I've been impressed with what I've seen. Here's the other thing, and it's one of those things that, doesn't show up on the stat line. It doesn't show up for a lot of people. They might not even notice this type of thing. But for guys like you and me and for PGF Nation, you guys out here that love this show, you guys, I know, watch these kind of things because you're not the average football fan. I like how he sells the play action. He really sells it like a guy who's been in the league eight, ten years.
1: Yeah, there were a couple of times we saw him turn his back. And that's the key. When you have that play action, you turn your back. That makes the say that has the linebackers and everybody frozen to know when they don't know what's going on. And then that quick whip around with your, with your head and then the finder receiver and make a decisive throw. You're absolutely right. I saw a lot of that in this game. So I like a lot of what I'm seeing from him. One more person I want to mention before we move on back to that Steeler game, Joey Porter Jr. I was very skeptical on how he was going to look, but what I saw is his strength. And using the sideline and redirecting receivers, I watched him in a cover two, which is not his strength. He is a man cover corner coming out of Penn State. But in that Mike Tomlin cover two, I watched him redirect, keep the right amount of depth, which is the number one issue with a lot of cornerbacks that try to play in that cover two. They're either too short or too long in terms of their depth but he maintained the depth, he pushed the receiver, he redirected the receiver, and then stayed in his zone and was able to make an interception. I thought what I saw from him, I said, that looks very promising. I'm going to go back and watch some more to see if he's progressing the way that it looked on that. The one or two plays that I saw, and I get to pull, pull out the entire All-22, but he looked excellent as well.
0: couple other guys I want to touch on here, Alex, before we move on. Brock Purdy, back in action here, went four for five, 65 yards, had a scramble for eight yards. Like I said, first game back looked pretty good. I think Niners fans have to be excited to see him out there already. Terrell Jones told us last week, our guest, he was at 49ers training camp. He pointed out Purdy was looking good. You know, throwing the ball at training camp looked good out there. From what he saw up close. So I'm not too surprised to see him out there making plays. It's got to be exciting for Niners fans. A few other guys here though, Alex. Kansas City rookie Rasheed Rice. This is a guy we've talked about in this offseason. A guy that we've talked about during the draft coverage. Caught eight passes for 96 yards. Man, he looks explosive in the open field. He's a guy that I think could be an impact player week one for this team I was originally thinking he'd be a guy that kind of bring along slowly he's looking like he's really fitting into this offense quickly how about Titans rookie Ty J Spears this is a guy that I liked coming out of the draft as well small school guy little bit under the radar Hurdled a defender and broke off for a 33-yard touchdown like what I've seen from him and last but not least here Alex Daniel Jones I mean, you want to talk about an almost perfect series, only drive of the game they started out with, went eight for nine, including three to new tight end Darren Waller, who also looks pretty good in this game for 69 yards and a touchdown. He was almost perfect in this offense.
1: Yeah, we I can jump right to Daniel Jones and I just watched that. I mean this is as a Raider fan watched a lot of Darren Waller, was very much aware of him in as the and when he was with the Ravens. But that 6'7 target, what he shows when he turns his back and can wall off somebody, the defender like a tight end, similar to what a lot of what Tony Gonzalez used to do and make himself a big target, that big I believe he's wearing number five or seventeen, something like that right now. But being able to see those numbers, see target, hit target for Daniel Jones and in those intermediate throws, excellent for him. What I'll say about Brock Purdy, since you brought him up, the number one thing that I saw that I liked that made me eat my words because I was the one that said, I don't believe he's going to be ready for the season. There was a goal line when the series that he was in, they were within the red zone. And instead of running out of bounds, he then turned inbounds to try and get to the end zone. And that gave me confidence to say, oh, he's going to be the day one starter. Because any other time I said, if he's he's not treating it tender and he landed on his shoulder, on his throwing shoulder, I said, oh no, he's ready to start. He will be the day one. He will be the day one starter as well. Even though I thought that the misdirection that Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch like to do, I didn't think he would be ready. But what I saw from him let me know that he will be ready Week one. And I'll, I'll be honest, I, I don't say anything about Trey Lance, who looked a lot better this week. Although, in the second half, probably playing against a lot of people that may not make the roster or a lot of practice squad players, he did look a lot better. He looked a lot more comfortable in the pocket, making the right reads. He looked a lot more comfortable. And I have to give you credit, Brad, on one thing as well with Brock Purdy. One of the things that you always talked about in terms of Debo Samuel, and we know he's a good receiver. It's just He just isn't able to stay as healthy to give us the, the full fledge of what he's able to do if he, when he's healthy. He was a running back. I mean, those short intermediate passes, he 1,000% turned into a running back in those moments. That San Francisco offense looks like it's going to be back on track, but I'm still holding true to what I said about Seattle winning that division.
0: College football is here. I can't believe it. Week zero this weekend. AP put out their top 25. We decided to put out the PGF top 25 preseason. It's available if you sign up for the newsletter. Go to pintglassfootball.com. If you're not signed up already, sign up for the newsletter and you'll get it in your inbox. We put out our own top 25 in college football preseason with some key differences. Now, there's a lot of these teams that I think are very close to where I have them ranked, some of them even in the same spots, but there's some key differences between our top 25 and the AP top 25. Alex, what stood out to you?
1: I'll say Clemson. Clemson at number seven is very interesting to me because I, I, there's something about Clemson that wants me, that thinks they're not going to be that team, and I'm looking at teams that I don't think are going to – be there in the position or, or be able to at least hold their position that we look at when the season starts. I, I just, there's just something about they're, they're missing something that we're used to seeing from Clemson. I'm not sure if it's the quarterback. I know that they had DJ. He was supposed to be a guy and they had to move on from them. They've there, a lot of talent that was there kind of flushed out and they're having a hard time replenishing as is Alabama in this new NIL World From which we live where a lot of teams are struggling to kind of figure things out and where they should stand. And I'll say one more thing and I'll let you respond. I love the fact that you do not have Texas A&M in the top 25. I love it. I love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just couldn't do it, man. I couldn't do it. I'm so tired of buying into this Texas A&M hype. They disappoint every single year. They have no business being in the top 25. When I saw the AP snuck them in again, I said, no, no, no. You are not making my top 25 until you show me you deserve to be in that mix. I, I, <laughs> I think that's a great observation by your point or by you, Alex. I'm glad you pointed that out. Now, Clemson, I am buying into the quarterback. Because I like Cade Klubnik, and I like that they went and added Garrett Riley to be the offensive coordinator, and it's why I'm buying Clemson stock this year. I think this is a bit of a bounce-back season. They went 10-3 and three last year. So by their standards, it was a down year, but I think almost any other program in America would be thrilled with that type of record. But I think this team has talent. I still believe in Dabo, and I think this is a team that legitimately could win the ACC. A a key difference that I I think a lot of people, it's kind of one of those sneaky ones that I don't know if people necessarily notice at first glance. I've got LSU ahead of Alabama, and I think for a lot of people, they're going to look at that and be like, "Whoa, whoa, wait a second. LSU ahead of Alabama? Yeah, I like LSU more than Alabama this year. Now look, Alabama could legitimately win the national title this year. They're that good, but so could LSU. And I think they have less question marks, especially at the most important position at quarterback.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Alabama, we don't know who their we don't know who their quarterback is. I could actually, and I know the state of Georgia is gonna be upset, we could actually kind of look at that at Georgia as well. They also, they too also are having a bit of a quarterback challenge as well. And we don't know, I don't know if they named them. I know last I looked they were still a little bit of back and forth on who would be starting there, but they too are also having that. But LSU, as you know, if you've been following the PGF Nation, if you've been following the pod, you know that LSU was my pick to win it all this year. So I would 1,000% have them ahead of Alabama in this situation because I have them going to the chip this year, and they're just simply going to have a better season than what I think Alabama. They're just – Alabama's slowly taking those few steps back, and I said it before. We actually. I didn't have to say it. Nick told us when he took the shots at everybody about the NIL, he told us that he's having a problem recruiting because he's not able to compete. Though we just talked about Texas A&M, they still are ending up with top five recruiting classes, although Jimbo's not able to do anything or bring them to prominence like they had hoped. But they're just able to with that oil money and having the most billionaires in the country, they're just simply able to outbid a lot of these other schools for the top talent. And Nick isn't able to Nick Saban, that is, isn't able to keep up. So it's interesting from my perspective, how the NIL deals are affecting what we're seeing and what the old powerhouses used to be and these other teams now. Whether they perform or not in terms of overall, but they're getting a lot of these other players to go different places that they probably normally wouldn't have gone simply because of these NIL deals. This is going to be interesting to watch, I would say, over the next five years before things start to balance out and how the NIL truly affects standings and where people go to school and who's winning and who's not.
0: Yeah, you're right about that, Alex. I think a couple other teams that I moved a lot from where the AP had them, one that I know is going to stand out to people, Texas. I have it number 20. The AP has them at 11. That is by far the biggest difference of any team on the AP top 25 versus the PGF 25. I am not buying into Texas. Now, I kept them in the top 25 because I think they have the roster that qualifies them to be in the top 25, but I don't think they're anywhere near the 11th best team in the country. I don't believe in their coach. And that is the number one reason that I think this team will underachieve. Once again, Sark hasn't won 10 games ever in college football ever. What makes you think he's going to have a top 10 type of season this year? I think they underperform again. They always tend to lose one or two games that they have no business losing. I see it happening again this year. Them and Oklahoma in their final year in the Big 12 could be limping into the SEC. And boy, that could get ugly for those two historic programs because I'm not really high on either one of those. I actually considered not putting Oklahoma in the top 25. I couldn't quite do it. I bumped them back a couple spots from where the AP has them because I'm not super high on them either. And it goes back to once again, Their roster is a top 25 roster, but their coach has shown me nothing. Brent Venables has only shown me that he's a great defensive coordinator. He did nothing in year one as a head coach that made me believe he could be the guy moving forward. Now, it's one year, so I've got to give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they can turn it around this year. But those two big 12 teams, soon-to-be SEC teams, are definitely ones that I'm circling here. Another notable team here is Wisconsin. You guys know I have them on my dark horse list of college football playoff contenders. I think they're a team to watch out for. I'm a little higher on them. AP has them at 19. I have them at 15. I bumped them up a bit because I think Wisconsin's for real this year.
1: Before we move on, Brad, I want to mention one team that we can see that can possibly jump up into the top 25. And that's where I believe they're ranked now 27th. The South Carolina game For whatever reason, towards the end of every college season, the Gamecocks seem to start beating teams, and they just get stronger as the season goes on. They're a team that I would say, let's watch out for, and Spencer Rattler, knowing that this is going to be a draft year for him, and he can possibly be a first and or second round pick, he's going to want to put on a show to show that he's worthy of being picked that high. So watch the Gamecocks and see where they are once we get to that halfway point, and watch South Carolina and what they do.
0: Once again, guys, go check out the PGF preseason college football top 25 pintglassfootball.com. Sign up for the newsletter and check it out, guys, if you want to see where we have the rest of the teams ranked. Hey, PGF Nation, are you tired of the same old bland food at your tailgate parties? Well, let me tell you about my friends at the tailgate foodie. The seasoning and barbecue sauce company that specializes in elevating your tailgate and backyard cooking game with their unique blend of spices and sauces, The Tailgate Foodie will take your taste buds on a flavor journey that you won't forget. Use code PINTGLASSFOODIE for 15% off your first order at thetailgatefoodie.com. Zencaster is the ultimate web based podcasting solution. It provides high quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, produce, and publish studio quality content all from one dashboard. Zencaster's post production process takes the headache out of audio production. Set the right podcast loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a click of a button. Coordinating all your guests to record in person is painful and tedious. Easily invite up to 11 participants per recording with one click. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code PGFP and you'll get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Hey there, PGF Nation. You know what's important when you're having a good time? Staying hydrated. And that's where Liquid IV comes in, the category-winning hydration brand that's fueling your well-being. With just one stick of Liquid IV, you get two times faster hydration than water alone, plus five essential vitamins to keep you feeling your best. And let's not forget about the convenience factor. The packaging is perfect for on the go, whether you're tailgating or just hanging out on the couch. But what really sets Liquid IV apart is the amazing flavors. Personally, I'm all about the Concord grape and lemon lime. And with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, Liquid IV is made with premium ingredients to give you the hydration and nourishment you need. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code PGFP at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code PGFP at liquidiv.com. So next time you're cracking open a cold one and settling in for the big game, make sure you've got Liquid IV by your side. Trust me, your body will thank you. All right, Alex, NFL season right around the corner. I thought it'd be fun to come up with some bounce back players for this year. Some guys maybe coming off of an injury, maybe some guys that had a down season that you could see and that I could see possibly bouncing back this year. Why don't you kick this off, Alex? Who's your first bounce back player to watch out for in 2023?
1: Well, I think number one with a bullet, as you know, I like to say a lot, is Cooper Cup. Coming off the injury, Being out, the Rams also not looking as, especially if we're just simply looking at preseason, not looking like they have any firepower. Cooper Cup has to be the bounce back player of the year and possibly the comeback player of the year. If he can get back to the form that we saw the Super Bowl year, coming off of injury, coming off the ACL, he's a player that we know what he is when he's healthy. We understand that he's a slot, but he can also be moved around and be interchangeable on that, in that wide receiver room. But having him there with Sean McVay calling the plays, this is a guy that I think can easily bounce back and be comeback player of the year.
0: I love that pick, Alex. We didn't talk about who our picks are. We usually don't. We like to uh, keep it kind of organic for you guys. So a lot of times we don't tell each other who our picks are when we do these types of segments. I strongly considered picking Cooper Cut because I'm with you. I think he has big-time bounce-back potential this year. He was on a tear last year before the injury. He was on pace to have a monster season again. And after the injury, obviously, it never came to fruition. But like you said, we know what kind of talent he has. If, if Matthew Stafford can stay healthy, and like you mentioned, with Sean McVay, the offensive play calling, he's always going to be a guy that I think it has the potential to have a big year. I like that pick. I'm going to stick with the Rams. How about Aaron Donald? Only played 11 games because of injury as well. We know what this guy is when he's healthy. The year prior to last year, we saw him at that typical all-pro level. I think with a healthy Aaron Donald this year, I expect a bounce back year because this is a guy that he knows. The Rams might not be a contender anymore at this point, but at this point, he's playing for legacy. Another big season from him. I think could really cement that legacy and put him on a very short list of all-time greats. And at this point, I think now that he's got the ring, I think that's what he's chasing here late in his career. I expect a big year from Aaron Donald.
1: A down year for Aaron Donald is probably a lot of other players' best years. <laughs> but for him and the standard that we're accustomed to him, and that's what happens when you become a great player. You set the bar so high that even when you're having an okay year, we look as like, yeah, that's kind of a down year, but it's usually everybody else's best year. But Aaron Donald coming back, we know what type of monster he is. We know that he keeps himself in shape. You know, if he's done with this little bit of retirement talk that he that he said, as we know a lot of players say once you start talking about it it can start to mess with your game and so on and so forth but if he's all in we know what type of disruptor that he that he can be regardless of who's around him but I'm going to stay with a lot of obvious picks and simply because I just want to see it and it's Lamar Jackson there are no more excuses he's been hurt the last two he's he has been unable to finish the last two seasons I won't say hurt because he did play but he's been unable to finish the last two seasons we know what type of weaponry they brought in for him. Lamar Jackson is another player that is sitting on that comeback player of the year that can battle Cooper Cup. Given what they now have on the, in that offense in, in terms of weapons, he's a guy that I cannot wait to see what he can do when he knows the gloves are off, you got the deal We brought in, in, not only did we bring in OBJ, we also brought in the number, at least from our perspective, the best wide receiver in the draft as well. And we know what Mark Andrews is, and we know if Rashad Bateman can stay healthy, and also you have Devin DuVernay. So that wide receiver room, should they stay healthy, looks plentiful. So now it's on you, Lamar, you and your arm. And your legs? Can you show us? And can you? You don't necessarily have to return to that form of the MVP, but can you give us 4500 4, yards and thirty plus touchdowns? And let's see what you can do now that you have this weaponry and you have the new OC and now all the gloves and training wheels have been taken off. It's all on you. Let's see what you can do.
0: Lamar is the guy to watch, no doubt about it. We'll talk about him more here in a minute. But, yeah, I like that pick, Alex. How about Calvin Ridley? Wide receiver now for the Jaguars. Ridley sat out most of 2021 for mental health reasons, and he missed all of last season due to that suspension that he had for gambling. Now he's fresh, and in Jacksonville with a great offensive-minded coach and an up-and-coming young quarterback in Trevor Lawrence – He should become the number one wide receiver in this offense. It already looks like he's going to be. I don't think there's any reason why he won't be. All early indications here at training camp and preseason is that he is off to a great start here in Jacksonville. I expect a big bounce back year for him in this offense and a big statistical year. Watch out for Calvin Ridley in the Jaguars.
1: You're absolutely right. This offense, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Tank Bigsby, Travis Etienne, he has, Trevor Lawrence now has a again similar to Lamar Jackson. He has a lot of weapons, including Evan Ingram as well. So there's a lot of things. And Doug Peterson, who seems to be one of the better offensive coordinators in this league, looks like he has an array of things and a lot of, fun times that he probably has designing and cooking up what he can cook up now with a true number one on that team. And let's remember. And as I said before, Calvin Ridley is now in a contract year. He does not have, he has not been extended. So he is going to need to show and prove that he is here to stay and that he wants to be here. If he wants to get one of these gigantic wide receiver contracts that they seem to be giving out to a lot of the receivers now that we're in this passing league. So a lot is riding on him for Jacksonville and there's a lot riding on him for himself and his future in terms of his earning power. So Calvin really is a great pick.
0: It's a good point about the contract too, Alex.
1: Another guy, and I'm going to stick with the theme of players going into their last year and this riding a lot on their earning power. How about Chase Young? Chase Young, the number two overall pick The monster that he was at Ohio State coming and being drafted to the league, not be living up to the full potential, having a few injuries that slowed him down. And now Washington declining his fifth year option. So now he's in the final year of his deal. How about Chase Young showing us who he is and what we thought he was this year with that incredible defensive line? Chase Young has an opportunity that he can put himself in a position to earn a big contract if he can stay healthy and show us who he thought he was. I think there's a, and I'm going to use a person here in terms of where I think Chase Young seems to be heading. If Chase Young doesn't show and prove this year, he is going to turn into Jadeveon Clowney. What I mean by that is you are now just going to be a mercenary that's just going to walk around getting one-year deals from teams that think they can find lightning in a bottle you can either be that or you can become the Khalil Max and uh, Miles Garretts of the league and show us who we felt you were when you were drafted at number two. So that's a guy that I'm looking at to come back and bounce back and show us what he, what we thought he was.
0: I like that one. I like that one a lot, man. You're right. A guy that they didn't pick up his option, which I think surprised some people, but I get it. We talked about it last week with Terrell Jones on the show. We know the kind of potential like you t- like you touched on there, Alex. The guy had sky-high potential coming out of Ohio State. Big-time prospect. We've seen flashes of it. Hasn't been able to put it all together. But you're right. This is a big, big year for him and a pivotal year. I would love to see him have a big bounce-back season. Here's my last bounce-back player. How about Najee Harris, running back for the Steelers? Steelers have had a bad offensive line. Really a bad offensive line for for most of his career here in Pittsburgh and below-average quarterback play since Harris was drafted, and it's made it tough on him. This was a guy who was drafted to be a franchise running back for them, a guy they could really lean on and be a bell cow. Once again, a guy we've seen flashes of talent, but we haven't really seen him put it all together. But I think if Kenny Pickett, we talked about earlier, if he continues to improve, I think it should help open up some holes for Harris this year. Plus, they drafted Georgia offensive tackle Broderick Jones, first-round pick that we both really like. They've, They've made some moves here to improve that offensive line. We think the passing game could be more explosive. Watch out for Najee Harris here. I think he could bounce back from the mediocrity that we've seen so far in his career.
1: Yeah, Najee Harris is a guy that I I had a lot of high hopes for. I love his character in terms of leadership and what he was in college. This is a man's man. This is a guy that cares about the game. This is a guy that loves the game. This is a guy that's not going to get in trouble. He's all in. And to see what we've seen from him the last two years, even though he's topped 1,000 yards, simply held back because of a bad offensive line and poor quarterback play, I want to see Najee Harris finally show this league what he can do. He's been under four yards a carry for his entire career, even though it's only been two years. He's under four yards a carry. Perhaps he can get back to the form in which we saw him at Alabama as well. So, yeah, Najee Harris is a very good pick.
0: Alex, let's keep the division previews rolling here. How about the AFC North this week? Let's start with the Steelers. This is a team we've talked about a little bit on this podcast. Let's break it down here, though. We talked about the draft picks. Broderick Jones, offensive tackle out of Georgia. They moved up to get him. I think he's a big-time prospect. We both really like that pick. It addressed a big hole for them on that offensive line. Cornerback Joey Porter Jr. We like what we've seen from him so far. The early returns look good. I loved the pick that they had with tight end Darnell Washington to, to really add an inline tight end to pair with their flex tight end to Pat Fryermuth. I think we're going to see a lot more 12 personnel from Pittsburgh this year with those two tight ends. The Steelers also acquired wide receiver Allen Robinson. I think he should be wide receiver three behind Deontay Johnson and George Pickens, a guy that you've talked about here. We've kind of mentioned on this pod and recently a guy with Big time breakout potential. I think those two guys with him could make for a nice wide receiver trio. A a lot of moving parts here for these Pittsburgh Steelers. What what are you looking at here? Like what stands out to you for the Steelers going into 2023?
1: For me, it's simply going to be the development of, of Kenny Pickett. I think they have a great wide receiver room. I think they've improved the offensive line. We know they have a guy at the running back position. This is really going to be on Kenny Pickett. And as I said earlier, to simply at minimum be a game manager, because we know what that defense is. We know what the defense is. They, the, You know, one thing we can say about Pittsburgh, they keep a defense. So if you can manage to simply do your job and keep the mistakes down to a minimum, this is a team another team that can, we know the AFC is stacked. So I will say possibly back into the playoffs because that is a stacked division as well. There's a lot of expectation as you'll hear us talk, as we go through each of them, each of these teams, there's a lot to talk about with a lot of these teams, but because of the pedigree and Mike Tomlin, the never having a losing season. I mean, that amazing season in terms of coaching, what we saw when he had Doug Hodges and Mason Rudolph, how he coached them through that to again, another eight and eight season, but still maintaining to be competitive. If Kenny Pickett can continue to develop and at minimum be a game manager, for lack of a better term, let's just say Alex Smith or Andy Dalton. This is a team that's going to be tough to beat as you get through those winter months, because have running game and defense will travel wherever you want to go in these playoffs They will be a team that you do not want to contend with when it gets into when we get into November and December to figure out the seeding and who has an opportunity to go. I want to say I'm going to give them 10 wins and I'm hedging my bet. Yes, I am hedging my bet. I know I can feel a lot of people laughing right now, but I'm hedging my bet on them winning 10 games, of course, barring injury. And one thing you did bring up, Brad, that I thought was interesting was Allen Robinson. That is a guy that was a sneaky good pickup, a guy who has a lot of talent, has been kind of waffling a little bit from the Bears over to the Rams and not finding a place where he can fit. One thing we know about Pittsburgh, when they get you, they know where to fit you in. So it'll be interesting to see how he can fit into this offense with a guy like Pickens, with a Deontay Johnson, who we know is a proven guy on that in that wide receiver room already. And then you mentioned it, that 11 and 12 personnel are what it's going to look like when you get those two tight ends on the field, that is going to look like old smash mouth football from the Steelers. So it's going to be very interesting. And I think they're going to be hard to beat. And you are not going to want to play Pittsburgh because this is turning back into the, uh, uh, it's going to look like a little bit of a bloodbath because they're going to hit you in the mouth and we're going to see who's left
0: standing. I like it. I like it, Alex. I think that's a valid take. Where do they finish in this division?
1: I have them finish. I have them finishing. I have them finishing. Well, I was going to say first, but I'm going to have them finishing second right now. And, I, and I'm again, I am hedging my I'm, I'm hedging my bet. And just for everybody, the uh, Steelers are at at eight and a half for betting odds. So I'm take. I would take the over on the Steelers in this one in terms of finishing second in the division.
0: I like it. I like it Alex. Like they they address some key needs and I and I think that really could help this team because they also added former Eagles guard Isaac Somalo, 3-year deal, $24 million to help sure up that offensive line, like we talked about. Broderick Jones was their big first-round pick, but also adding a guard I think helps because the offensive line has been shaky. But I think we could see a better offensive line group this year from Pittsburgh, and that could really help things out, like we talked about, for the young quarterback in the running game. Now, one of their key losses that I don't know if a lot of people are talking about, they lost their best cornerback, Cam Sutton, to the Lions in free agency. That's going to be tough to replace. I like Joey Porter Jr., but that's a big hole on the outside. When you look at the rest of the defense, Cameron Hayward up front, T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith on the edges, Minka Fitzpatrick in the defensive backfield. These are all really special players, but I do think there's some real question marks at defensive tackle, inside linebacker, and cornerback. They've got some holes there, so those special players that I mentioned I think are going to have to play special to kind of elevate this group at times. I think they're a fringe playoff team. I think they're right on the fence there in a deep AFC, in a deep AFC North as well. It's going to be tough. I'm not quite as high on them as you are, but, man, it's hard to bet against Mike Tomlin. You pointed out just the most, maybe the most consistent coach we've ever seen in the NFL. They've got a pretty good roster, but man, that AFC and AFC North are tough. I'm going to take them third place in this division, but third place in this division still might be nine wins. So I'm I'm close to where you're at. You might be a little higher than I am, but but yeah, this this is a team that certainly could surprise some people. I wouldn't be shocked there, Alex. What about the Baltimore Ravens? Let's shift to Baltimore here. Added a bunch of guys in free agency, but there is no doubt, that the emphasis here was adding to the wide receiver room. Odell Beckham Jr., Nelson Aguilar, and then they drafted the best wide receiver in this draft with Zay Flowers. We've talked about it, new offensive system here with Todd Munkin coming over from Georgia. We know in this new system, Lamar Jackson is going to have to win more from the pocket than he does from the ground. The big question now is can he? What do you expect, Alex?
1: Again, similar to the Steelers, a lot of this is going to ride now on Lamar Jackson, specifically on the offensive side. We saw them bring in uh, left guard. Um, <laughs> I'm going to struggle to say this word from the draft, though, but Molly say I'm a Vula Lalo, and I actually think I got that right. But he's a six round pick. Now, that's not saying six round picks. We've seen undrafted free agents start but they're starting somebody on the left guard position. Ronnie Stanley has had some issues staying healthy, so a lot of that's going to ride on him. I mean, Tyler Linderbaum, a lot of people shoo that pick, but I thought it was a great pick for what they did. I I love them bringing in Morgan Moses, so the right side of that line looks very sturdy. And though Ronnie Stanley is a stalwart and a real player, he's just had a few issues staying healthy. So the number one thing with the Ravens, to me, is health. It's not one specific player, even though there's a lot riding on Lamar. It's their health because Ronnie Stanley, a key, a key Starworth player, injury prone. Lamar Jackson, injury prone. J.K. Dobbins, injury prone. Rashard Bateman, injury prone. Odell Beckham Jr., injury prone. That's a lot of firepower that they need to stay healthy to reach the heights that we believe that they can reach should they stay healthy. Now let me move to the defensive side of the ball where they have been having issues as well. We know Marlon Humphreys recently is now out. They had already lost, did not resign Marcus Peters. And if anybody saw that preseason game, they basically were rail thin at the cornerback position and had to play their cornerbacks the entire game because their depth was just Shaky and Marlon Humphreys being probably I'm not gonna say probably but a top five DB in this league. This was supposed to be the strength of that defense, that back four, you know, with him, Kyle Hamilton and Marcus Williams being able to help out. Because the one thing that the Ravens lack is pressure. We saw them bring in Jason Pierre-Paul last year, James Houston. They were trying to find pressure from wherever they could find pressure. Now, I did mention this player earlier. I thought it was an excellent signing bringing in Jadavion Clowney. With that type of coaching staff and culture, this is a guy that can thrive. And we know when he's focused, keyword on focus, he is a disruptor. So hopefully he can come in and add to that. We know that they brought in uh, Roquan Smith last year. So there's some hope there as well. Uh, Odafe Owawi was a guy, young guy from last year. And I believe uh, David uh, David Ojobu, who was going to be a first round pick, but ended up uh, hurting himself uh, from Michigan last year, hurting himself and dropping to the second round. That dropped him. He's back as well. So if you bring in all these players and they can stay healthy—again, keyword healthy—this team can do some things. But and I'm, but this is where I'm going to have them take a step back. Is simply because I don't trust them being healthy. And there's so much writing on health. In this current game that I'm not sure that they're going to last the season. I can see them starting out strong, but then waning towards the end simply because they're going to lose a lot of key pieces here. And though John Harbaugh and team are a very good organization, I just see them taking a step back and I have them with nine wins which is why I pushed the Steelers up one, but I have them with nine wins. And again, the Baltimore Ravens are at an eight and a half just for odds purposes, but I have them with nine. I have them with nine wins and possibly missing the playoffs.
0: Yeah. When you laid it out, Alex, it's a great point because they have had the injury bug for the last couple of years. A lot of their key guys, it seems like this team has really struggled to stay healthy and they have faded down the stretch. Wouldn't surprise me if we saw it again on paper though, I like what I see from this team. I expect a balanced offense this year with J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill rotating in that backfield. I think even though they're moving to a more pro style, spread it out, throw it around from the pocket style of offense, I still expect them to lean on the running game just a little bit less with Lamar's legs and a little more with the running back room. Now, I also expect the tight ends still to be featured a lot in this offense. Todd Munkin is a guy who likes to utilize the tight end and generate touches for those guys. I expect not only Andrews, but Isaiah likely to get more opportunities. He was a guy that I talked about, could be a breakout candidate this year because Todd Munkin, I should say he used a decent amount of two tight end sets while at Georgia. So I expect him to get on the field and be another contributor in this passing attack. You mentioned it, but I love their two young edge defenders, Odafi Owe and David Ajabu, two former Big Ten guys that, man, when they came out of the draft, Michigan and Penn State, I loved these guys. I thought they both had huge upside. Ajabu, you mentioned, would have been a lock first-round pick if he hadn't have torn his ACL at his pro day. Really unfortunate story. Basically took a redshirt year last year. He's back, and I'm hearing good things out of training camp, so watch out for him. Roquan Smith, the middle linebacker, was a big pickup last year. We know about Marlon Humphrey. You mentioned him. I like Caillou Blue Kelly, the rookie from Stanford. We both liked his tape coming out of college, and they signed Rockya Sin to help solidify the secondary as well. Kyle Hamilton is the guy to circle. I think this is a guy that I expect to take a big step in year two. He was my highest-rated player in the draft when he came out. I thought he was an absolute steal who got undervalued because of his position. We saw some flashes last year, but I think he's a guy to watch out for in this defense. I'm higher on them than you are, Alex. Not a lot higher, but I've got basically the Steelers and Ravens flipped. I think the Ravens are more likely to be the 10-win team and finished second in this division. That's going to be my pick. Let's shift to the Cleveland Browns. And I want to start with head coach Kevin Stefanski. I think this is a guy who's under a ton of pressure this year. Alex, when you break the bank to get a quarterback because you believe you're a top quarterback away from contending for a Super Bowl, you expect results. And look, he got a pass with Baker Mayfield and he got a pass last year because Deshaun Watson missed most of the season with the suspension. No excuses this year for Stefanski and this Browns team. I think anything short of the playoffs and maybe even a playoff win, I think he's done in Cleveland.
1: You hit it right on the head. That was the exact place I was going to start as well, not Deshaun Watson where most people would probably start. I have to look at the coach because at this point, Deshaun Watson isn't going anywhere. We know what that contract is, so we know what it means for him. This is now the pressure has shifted to the coach and the coaching staff as well. And excuse me, he has to make sure he has this team ready to play. You have the number one, from our perspective, number one running back in the league. You have a top five, top 10 wide receiver. You have actually, you we can say you probably have a top 10, top 12 wide receiver room with Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Elijah Moore, and along with Cedric Tillman that you drafted as well. You have a very, very good offensive line that was actually a lot better maybe a few years ago, but it's still formidable. That defense led by Miles Garrett. So you have an edge rusher in Miles Garrett who's top tier, and you also have a quote unquote shutdown corner that is considered a top 10 corner in. And um, Denzel Ward. And you also have J.O.K., as I like to say, Jeremiah Owusu Karamoa, as well, that was an emerging rookie last year. So you have some players at every level of your offense and your defense. So the only thing that of key that you truly, truly lost was Kareem Hunt. But Nick Chubb has been a stalwart all these years. That's not, and we're hoping that he continues to be one. He's the one outlier. In terms of the running back market that's been able to maintain throughout since he's been in the league. You also went out and traded for Zadarius Smith to go on the other side of Miles Garrett. So everything is here that says this team should take a leap and should be in the playoffs. And to your point, Brad, you're, you're perhaps you're right, even win a playoff game. But this team is talented on paper. Throughout, the only injury-prone person that we see on this team that I see is really Anjoku, who has had a little bit of an injury bug, but still a, a, a good player at his position. They have to go and they have to find and dig deep to pull something out and kind of go on the run of what we saw a few years ago when they had Baker Mayfield, when they came within an inch and a Chad Henney uh, first down of possibly beating the Chiefs. He has to show that he has this team ready and that this team wants to play for him because they have the players on paper. This is, as you said, this is truly on coaching. But unfortunately, with that division that they're in and I believe that I would look at uh, Kevin Stefanski as being the worst coach in that division. That doesn't mean he's bad. It's just that you're looking up at a lot of those other coaches and the success that they've had. So he's the worst coach in that division. And now you've given Deshaun Watson something that he's never had since he's been in this league, which is not only a running game, but the best running game or top tier run, a top three running game in this league as well to help out with play action, you also have now have to show up and show that you're worth that contract, that trade, and everything else that comes off the field from a PR standpoint as well. There's a lot riding on those two gentlemen and perhaps maybe even the GM because there's a lot look you're gonna be looking at him if I'm a CEO and the draft capital and the money that I gave up to get this guy here. I have to be looking at my coach. And then secondly, I have to be looking at my quarterback. Now I need results. We've gone through the year. We've gone through a lot of the minutiae and we've cleared it. Now it's time to put up or shut up. But unfortunately, like I said before, this AFC North is stacked. It's literally almost the old black and blue division that used to be with Minnesota, Chicago back in the day, simply because these teams are all on paper. They are all stacked. They all play defense. But unfortunately, I have the Browns only winning about seven to eight games. But who knows? They could, you know, this this league is so up and down, and you can go from worst to first. They can also be my pick to go from worst to first as well. But if simply talking here, I only have them at about eight wins and taking a step back, unfortunately, and missing the playoffs. And then, as you noted before, Stephen Stefanski possibly using losing his job.
0: Yeah, let's stick with the coaching staff. You made some great points there, but they bring in defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz to replace Joe Woods this offseason. That should be an upgrade. And on paper, at least, I I think that's a good move because the Browns defense could not get stops until late in the year last season. Now, you mentioned some of the playmakers on defense. We know about Miles Garrett, JOK, Denzel Ward. For me, it's the defensive depth that is the big question mark. If they lose any key guys, I think they could really be in trouble. Deshaun Watson, you talked about it, failed to look anything like the guy that we saw in Houston. A lot of pressure on him this year to start playing like a $230 million quarterback. This team has pressure, pressure, pressure at on the coach, the quarterback, everybody. They're expecting some big-time returns on this investment in Cleveland. So... In a tough division, man, in a tough conference, this is a team, this is a big swing team because they've got the talent that they could make some noise, but they also play in a tough division. And there's some question marks around this team where I could see them easily underachieving. Now, they had a busy offseason. They addressed a lot of the team's biggest concerns, adding players like defensive tackle, Dalvin Tomlinson. That's an underrated under the radar move right there. I think that was a really sneaky good pickup. They also addressed the wide receiver room with Elijah Moore. I mentioned a couple of podcast episodes ago. I think he's a little overrated. I think he's a good player, but I think there's a reason the Jets moved off of him. They also added wide receiver Marquise Goodwin, and they drafted wide receiver Cedric Tillman, defensive tackle Siaka Ika, and they also drafted offensive tackle DeWan Jones. Didn't love their draft. We talked about the draft grades, obviously. But they did address some positions of need, which I liked. Now, losing Kareem Hunt, I think, hurts. Losing Jadavion Clowney, I think, hurts their depth more than anything else. On offense, after Amari Cooper, I like their wide receiver room. I'm not sky high on it. I, I think they've just got a, a lot of just solid guys, nobody that's really great outside of Cooper. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore, Cedric Tillman, like you know the upside there, Marquise Brown, David Bell, Solid, but I don't think any of these guys are special. But I do think the Browns are going to go with more spread looks this season to try to utilize the speed guys like Elijah Moore and Marquise Goodwin. That's something to look for here. I think we're going to see a new-look offense from that standpoint and a lot more four and five wide receiver sets even. Good offensive line. You talked about it. Maybe not as good as it was a couple years ago, but a pretty solid group up front with Nick Chubb. The big question is, with these weapons and what they have there, can they be a top-10 offense? I think they're going to have to be in that conversation if they want to achieve the goals that they're looking to achieve this year. But you hit on it perfectly, Alex, and I couldn't agree more. Fourth-best coach in the North. Big question mark if Watson can return to that Pro Bowl level. Talented team, but I'm with you. I think they disappoint again this year, Alex. I think they finished fourth in this division, and we see a new regime next year in Cleveland. All right, let's wrap it up with the Bengals, Alex. We know the names. Joe Burrow is elite, and he has maybe the best trio of wide receivers in the game. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Joe Mixon is back after restructuring his deal. The offense shouldn't miss a beat. They upgraded some key spots on this offense as well by signing tight end Drew Sample and tight end Herb Smith Jr. And the big acquisition was offensive tackle Orlando Brown Jr. Brown was the best pure left tackle on the open market. I like that move to solidify the O-line and to protect the franchise quarterback. I also like what they did in this draft as well, Alex. I know you liked these guys too. Edge defender Miles Murphy I think is going to bring some depth to that group. Cornerback D.J. Turner, really good player out of Michigan and safety Jordan Battle. This is a team that I think has all the pieces in place. The secondary is going to look different without Jesse Bates and Vaughn Bell. But I, I really like Dax Hill. Last year's first round pick at safety, I expect a big year from him.
1: I'm going to get to Dax Hill in a moment because you changed my mind on him. This is another team I'm going to have to look at the coach. And the reason I'm going to look at the coach, because there's always there's a narrative around that Joe Burrow does not have a good offensive line. Joe Burrow does have a good offensive line. He's just dealt with a lot of injuries over the past two years. However, like you said and mentioned, bringing in Orlando Brown and being able to move Jonah Williams from left to right, their former first round pick. They have Alex Kappa. They have Ted Harris, two proven very good interior linemen as well. And they have a fourth round pick they drafted in 2022, Cordell Volson, that they're starting now. This is going to be a top 10 offensive line should they stay healthy. Zach Taylor, and I'm speaking to you directly. We have to start to begin to shorten a lot of those routes because as I like to say about Brandon Staley, he coaches like I play Madden. You are now coaching a little bit on how I play Madden, sending those receivers out and doing those five to seven step uh, dropbacks and which is not giving him enough time or those receivers who can get open. But you can get your quarterback killed if we don't start to cut some of these routes off and start to use the intermediate routes. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, excellent pieces to play with, but we have to be able to care for our quarterback. Shorten those routes, start to use the 10 to 12 as opposed to the 15, 20, and longer routes, which they do get open. He just simply listen, the average time to get rid of the to get rid of the ball is about 2.4, 2.3, 2.4 seconds. The greats like Tom Brady can do it in 2.1. But we have to shorten those routes to help our offense and use Joe Mixon a little bit more. That's what I have to say about the offense. Defensively, what they did in drafting Miles Murphy, and we know what DJ Reader, BJ Hill, and Trey Hendrickson are. They also have Joseph Asai. I love the depth and rotation that they're going to begin to have on that defensive line. A little bit weak at the linebacker position, but Logan Wilson, very solid. Jermaine Pratt, there was a lot to be said about him, but we know what that is. Dax Hill you have changed my mind. I watched a lot of him this preseason, a lot of the plays that he made cuz I was very skeptical about losing 3 of their four starters from last year, specifically Jesse Bates and then Von Bell and Eli Apple. But bringing in Dax Hill, excuse me, Dax Hill being there and watching him this preseason, seeing a lot of what's being said about him and coming out of camp, I feel he's going to fill in formidably. Obviously he's not Jesse Bates, but he's going to be able to fill in formidably. Chidi Ray, oh, Oizier, and then uh, Cam Britton-Taylor, we'll see if DJ Turner can push to start. I like the depth that they have at strong safety, but Nick Scott at that free safety position, I think there's going to be a little bit of miscommunication going on in the backfield out there as he's a little bit to be desired for, but maybe Jordan Battle begins to push Mike Hilton decent in the nickel. But I'm going to reiterate, Zach Taylor, a lot of this is really on you to fix that offense and really make it more efficient. Joe Burrow looking like he's going to be a guy, but as we all know, we expect Joe Burrow to get a paycheck probably right before the season starts. And then the clock truly starts because you can't pay chase Higgins, Boyd, and mixing along with that offensive line and along with that defensive line, something is going to have to give. And we know they're basically playing with two number ones. So the odd man out possibly can be T. Higgins, but we're just going to have to wait and see. But this is a year that the expectation should be for them to go. However, because of that division, again, I'm holding the Bengals to 10 wins this season. I can give you their odds. I believe they're at, well, actually they're at 11 and a half. So I'm going to take the under on that, in terms of what Vegas is looking at, I just think a lot of these teams is going to be a lot of struggle and fighting and defensive battles that are going to be going on in this division. So, eleven and a half is a little bit too high for me, but I'm going to give them ten, along with the Steelers, and probably ending up first because they'll have the tiebreakers. However, it works out, they'll have the tiebreakers over steel. So, I'm going to give them ten wins.
0: Alex, you touched on something that I've got to that I've got to respond to here because you mentioned they need to find more passing attack in the short and intermediate routes and stop taking so many deep shots. We saw them really do this in that playoff game against the bills. The bills came out with that umbrella coverage. They were trying to really take away the deep passing attack from guys like Jamar chase and Higgins and burrow exposed them underneath. He was patient and methodically picked them apart underneath, and in the intermediate routes. And I expect them to lean into that more this offseason. So I think you really touched on something there because not only is it a great point, I'm expecting it this year. And Burrow really showed that he's capable of saying, okay, you're going to take that away, then I'm going to pick you apart here. And I love the maturation that I've seen from him from that standpoint. Now, to jump back to something else you mentioned, this D-line does not get talked about enough. DJ Reader, B.J. Hill, Trey Hendrickson, Sam Hubbard, and now you add in Miles Murphy. I really like this group. I think it might be one of the most underrated defensive lines in the entire league, especially with the depth. I look at this Bengals team. This roster doesn't really have any true weaknesses. I mean, yeah, there's some spots that maybe not aren't as strong as others, but there's no glaring holes on this roster right now, and this coaching staff, I don't know if they get enough credit either. We talked about Zach Taylor on a prior episode. I think he's a coach that maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves. I like what he's done with this team. I like what offensive coordinator Brian Callahan has done. And and I think we're going to see more of what you talked about in this offense. But here's the guy that really is underrated. Lou Anarumo is the most underrated defensive coordinator in the NFL, hands down. Most guys don't even who follow this they don't even know who he is. And this guy has been dialing it up and calling a great defense for the last few years in Cincinnati. And it's a big reason why they've had success. We all like to pay attention to Burrow and Chase and the playmakers, but that defense has been really solid for them. And it's a big reason why they've been a consistent contender these last few years. Where do they finish in the North? I've got them finishing first as well, Alex. I think they are once again a legit Super Bowl contender. That is going to do it for today's episode, guys. Hope you enjoyed it, PGF Nation. Before we go, I want to give a quick shout out to our friends at the Tailgate Foodie. Check them out at thetailgatefoodie.com. I'm Brad Fowler. He's Alex Higdon. This is Pint Glass Football, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to the Pint Glass Football Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Twitter at PGF Podcast.